Welcome to our third quarter market outlook. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer of Fiduciary Trust. I hope that you and your family are staying well in this environment that continues to be challenging. As we are all well aware, we've had major swings in economic activity in the markets through the first half of this year triggered by the pandemic. In today's discussion, we'll cover the current state of the economy and the near and longer term prospects for growth, the outlook for the financial markets, including whether we're at risk of a near term correction, how to position your portfolio for heightened uncertainty of what lies ahead and investment opportunities that are presenting themselves in this COVID world. I'm joined today by Austin Shepard, President and CEO of Fiduciary Trust, and Hans Olson, our Chief Investment Officer. He'll take us through a discussion of these areas along with Austin. Over to you, Austin, to kick it off. Todd, thank you. Indeed, these are extraordinary days. With over 3 million Americans having contracted the COVID-19 virus and over or almost 150,000 having died. At the same time, we're dealing with massive changes in our economy and also in our society. With this backdrop, Hans and I are going to talk through the stewardship of assets in particularly uncertain times. Hans, what I wanted to do during our time together, I was going to frame our discussion around a topic that many have raised, which is the divergence between what we are observing in our towns, in our neighborhoods, in the businesses that we know, and the economics that are going on, and the stock market. There seems to be a lot of unemployment and businesses that are having challenges. At the same time, the stock market seems to be even steady and even reaching some highs. And so with that context, could you provide some perspective around what is going on in our economy? That's a good observation, Austin. The, the, the dichotomy between the real economy and the financial economy hardly could be more stark. Uh, in the real economy, we're looking uh, at a recession, the likes that we haven't seen in modern times. In the first quarter, GDP fell something on the order of about 5%. It's expected to fall somewhere between 7 and 12% in the second quarter. It's important to put this into perspective. Uh, back during the great financial crisis, uh, I think the worst year-over-year decline in GDP that we saw was something on the order of 4%. Similarly, in the labor markets, massive dislocations, Austin. Uh, since the end of February, uh, almost 50 million people have filed for unemployment claims. That's roughly a third of the workforce. About 18 million people are currently on unemployment benefits. And unemployment, uh, the unemployment rate, uh, which is what everybody seems to pay attention to, and for good reason, that's looking like it's going to be somewhere on the order of 11%, down from 15% the prior month. And again, uh, during the great financial crisis, uh, unemployment peaked out around 10%. So the dislocations that we're seeing through this just handful of statistics uh, in the real economy right now is, is massive. Yet, when we look at capital markets, as you've suggested, uh, after a, a breathtaking drop uh, in the end, during the end of March and into early April, they have since come roaring back where in many cases they're flat for the year. And in some cases, uh, they've actually moved into positive, positive territory. 
sort of remarkable dichotomy that exists between the financial economy and the real economy. Hans, I have two follow-up uh, questions as it relates to the economy. First, you talk about comparing this to the great financial uh, back to 2008. Is that what we should be looking at or should we really, really be thinking about the Great Depression, uh, this level of unemployment uh, and dislocation? Um, and I guess the second question that I have is um, the magnitude of this. Is it being delayed? Is this something that is um, we're not seeing immediately and that will unfold over the coming months. Yeah, yeah. So let's take the, uh, the first question first. I think this is something new. This is something unique. So uh, whereas the, the great financial crisis was a financial crisis, it was a banking crisis that spilled over into the real economy. And the Great Depression was one uh, between a financial crisis and a trade-induced uh, uh, a crisis, which caused a collapse in economic activity. This one uh, was, in many respects, entirely the result of, uh, uh, of a biological event. So this is really without precedent in the last hundred years. Um, with respect to, is there more to be, to be revealed later on? I think that gets into the conversation around whether the recovery will be a U-shaped, a V-shaped, or some other uh, alphabet in the I-chart of recovery. By our way of thinking, the recovery will have more of a W-shaped uh, uh, characteristic to it. That is to say that the economy will move forward in fits and starts. That is predicated, Austin, entirely on the belief that we won't have uh, a vaccine anytime soon, which is the only way that we can get ahead uh, and put finally put this uh, uh, this pandemic to rest. So as we get additional viral flares, and we're still working through wave one, and if we get wave two later in the year, we'll see these rolling shutdowns that are essentially happening as we speak in the American West and uh, South. Um, and that will have disruptions that will eventually, again, show up in the economic statistics. So this recovery, this passive path of recovery is going to be uh, a bit of an uncomfortable waltz where it's one step forward, perhaps two steps back. Hans, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the uh, stock market and in the global markets. Can you explain the correlation or the, the traditional connection between the economy and the stock market? Um, and how, what is that connection? Largely, I, I think you're going to talk about profits and cash flow. Um, but um, again, it creates this question about uh, what's going on in the stock market, because I think the historic connection between those two seems to be broken or disconnected. I think disconnected is the right way to think about it. You know, for, for those of us who've been through a few cycles, uh, the relationship between the stock market and the real economy is one that goes really, for the most part, hand in glove. And it's this notion that through a business cycle, through investment, uh, and with investment creates jobs and more output, which creates demand. And then eventually in the cycle, there's overinvestment that is less than economic and the system starts to correct itself. And when that process of uh, correction uh, is recession and in a recession um, earnings tend to fall and, and that that cycle you know it's like a big sine wave that that moves through time that is the business cycle and uh, and profits move with the business cycle GDP 
the output of a nation moves with the business cycle. And that cycle has existed, um, you know, for decades. Um, um, some would say hundreds of years, as long as we've had really, you know, capitalism as a form of uh, organizing our, our commercial lives. But what's interesting of late, and probably the last 20 years or so, is that as we've moved more to a more muscular central banking policy, so uh, uh, you know, cutting interest rates uh, into negative real territory. So on an inflation-adjusted basis, the rates are, are negative or pushing uh, nominal rates to zero or if you're in Europe, actually negative. Um, this, these, these experiments with central banking has, has sort of attenuated the pulses from the, uh, from the business cycle and the markets are now responding more to the credit cycle. And the credit cycle really is one uh, which is determined by the uh, price of money and the quantum of money moving through it. And, and that creates a bid uh, for asset prices uh, and, and in the hopes of the part of policymakers that it'll create money cheap enough and plentiful enough for people to use it and to help the economy uh, continue to move along in an, uh, in an expansionary path. Hans, is that the result of the actions that were taken in 08 in the great financial crisis in that there was a lot of work done around regulation, around uh, monetary policy? And so is this, are we dealing with um, either positive or negative results of, of work that happened to have been done almost a decade ago? Well, in truth, that work was done about 20 years ago, uh, 20 to 25 years ago, uh, when uh, during the, uh, the savings and loans crisis of the late 80s and, and the banking bust that ensued in 1990, 91, uh, where an interest rates got pushed down into uh, essentially negative territory in real terms. And that created sort of this... Uh, uh, this more muscular uh, policy on the part of the Federal Reserve. It got amped up during the, the uh, emerging market meltdown and the uh, LTCM, remember that hedge fund collapse back in 97, 98. And then again, in, in uh, providing liquidity to the system ahead of Y2K. So a lot of this, uh, these experimentations with sort of a new form of monetary policy was put uh, in place well ahead of the uh, the great financial crisis, some believe, and and I would you would have to number me among those who do believe it, is that those policies were actually a very large contributor of the great financial crisis. Mm. Yeah. So Hans, you've made this point, which is we may be shifting. I think what you're saying is we may be experiencing a period where we've been in one of the longest bull markets ever. It's now concluded. And I think what you're saying is now it's much more of a credit uh, experience or a monetary experience than it is the traditional business cycle. Is that correct? Yes. And I think that, that, that the accentuation of that migration away from the business cycle into the credit cycle happened about 10 years ago as we came out of the great financial crisis. So while that recovery was long, it was rather muted by historical standards. But yet the amount of money that we had to throw at it in terms of both uh, quantitative easing, which is part of the Federal Reserve, and then um, uh, help uh, on the part of the fiscal authorities that came later uh, was really enormous. And for all that, that lift, 
we really didn't get much on a relative basis uh, over that time period. If you think about the time uh, and the, the quantum, sort of the distance and the quantum that we got, uh, not so great, which I think forces you into this notion that what's driving it now is really more money uh, than the traditional elements of the cycle, which is investment and productivity and the like. Hans, you talked about the amount of money that's been put into the economy. Over the past three months, my understanding is an enormous amount has been uh, put into the market. And how, where is that showing up? And what are the ramifications of that? Yeah, awesome. You're right. I mean, over, over the last several months, uh, uh, between the federal government, uh, through the, the, the CARES Act and the like, that was about two, two and a half trillion dollars. And then there's been another three to four trillion dollars on the part of the Federal Reserve. So the number is somewhere between six and seven and still going up. There's talk about a, uh, another bailout, another uh, assistance package uh, yeah, beginning of next month, another trillion there. So we're looking at more than 30 percent of our nation's output, more than 30 percent of GDP uh, worth of money that we've created over uh, the last uh, three, four months. So these are massive numbers, massive numbers. I, outside of wartime, you really don't see this. You would never see this. And is this causing uh, strange behavior uh, in the high yield markets, in the stock markets, is it bidding up assets? Um, how does that, How do, again, for the, the average individual, how do I think about this? Right, so I think we can bring it full circle because all this money that has been printed uh, has helped to uh, buoy confidence, right? Basically forced some risk-taking. Yield spreads uh, essentially at one point blew out. I mean, when I say yield spreads, those are the, the amount of additional pickup uh, or additional yield that you get by owning things like high-yield and investment-grade bonds uh, over treasuries, which are generally considered to be risk-free. High-yield, they, they were over 1,000 basis points, 1,100 basis points at one point, so 11 percentage points. Uh, at the worst, they've actually that has been cut in half. It's still elevated, but it's a fraction of what it was. And similarly, uh, with uh, uh, investment grade uh, yield spreads, there tripled, um, went up about three and a half times. They have since uh, come in to where they're only forty percent elevated from from the beginning of this. The, all this money has caused money to go into motion, which has had bid up uh, asset prices of both stocks and bonds and. Uh, that is, is where we're getting this disconnect between what's happening in the real economy and what we're seeing on things like CNBC and Bloomberg. So Hans, with all of this money that's coming into the, to the system, into the markets, and effectively bidding up uh, assets and objects, um, and now we're going to be seeing, back to the earlier points that you were talking about, about earnings and about the real economy. And my guess is that over the coming weeks, as earnings reports come forth, the earnings aren't going to be that strong. Are we getting set up for a day of reckoning? Potentially, Austin, you're right. And you see this, uh, you know, the telltale signs are, are many. First, uh, corporate management uh, basically have given up on any sort of earnings guidance uh, for the year. Understandable, but that's telling you that they have no idea what's going to happen. If you look at the travel industry, they're, they're, they're saying, look, it's going to be a year and a half or more before things come back to any semblance of normal. Um, 
And if you look at the numbers themselves, earnings are supposed to, if they come through as expected, uh, they're going to fall something on the order of 22% this year. So 2020 is a lost year. You look at 2021, the hopes are great that they'll that earnings will get back to the level where they were last year. Um, that might be wishful thinking by our way of thinking, because to your good point, you have all this money hitting the market, which helps to buoy confidence. But yet what we really see in a W-type shaped recovery of viral flares, economy moving in fits and starts, rolling shutdowns and the like, that is not an environment where you get a strong bounce back uh, in uh, corporate profits uh, in, in, in any short period of time. So, so let's take it to the standpoint of a, of a client, of an individual who has a portfolio of assets. What should you do? Um, again, we've nav you've navigated portfolios through very uncertain times before. Um, this is an uncertain time, as you just described, as highly influenced by monetary policy, highly influenced by the virus, many other f unknown factors. How would you? How do you navigate a uh, a portfolio during these times? Yeah, I think the. First principles are always the best principles, Austin. Um, know what you own, why you own it. Go back to the investment program that you, you essentially crafted in good times to make sure that it's still appropriate for these times. Um, and don't react uh, to events as they happen. Um, try to look over the hill, if you will. Um, while all of this is new, none of it is completely new. I mean, we've, we've gone through wars in the past. We've gone through pandemics a long time ago. Uh, we've gone through um, different types of uh, uh, administrations with different policies. So markets have seen myriad uh, uh, stressors to, to how they operate. But as long as we can continue to focus on, on earnings, on innovation, on productivity, unemployment, as long as those things return to some sort of semblance of growth over the intermediate and longer term, asset prices will be okay. Investors will be okay. And that's why it's important not to react to the here and now, but to try to uh, 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 make sure that what you have, you know why you own it, and that it is uh, consistent with what you're trying to accomplish uh, for the longer term. Hans, um, to that point about this aspect about um, thinking behind, beyond the, 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 the hill in front of you, and also I think you're touching on a point that um, events like what we are experiencing can also be an accelerator for trends or innovations that were already underway. As you think about opportunities to invest in, are there components that you see that you say this this sector, this type of business, this thematic area will be accelerating because of this? Uh, absolutely, Austin. There's whether it be in the area of remote work um, or even when you think about it, the next level down from remote work. So think about your day in the office. You know, if you publish a document, if you were having this conversation over electronic devices, well, inside those electronic devices, there are certain components, there's certain software and the like that facilitates what we're doing right now. I think those are the opportunities, those, those businesses that are involved with the mechanics of this new paradigm of work, which is likely going to stick for some time to come. 
Um, it was already in train before this, this just accelerates it. Um, that's where I think there'll be some great opportunities, um, longer term sustainable opportunities. And because they're longer term, it gives you time to identify, evaluate, and build positions in them. Uh, then there's going to be areas of dislocation. You see it uh, right now in certain retail, uh, brick and mortar, folks who haven't made the pivot to a more robust uh, online presence. And it'll be an opportunity for share uh, for some of those companies that already have a footprint uh, in the online world. So these things create, adversity creates opportunity. And I'm reminded during the great financial crisis of, of a study that came out that the conclusion was during periods of, of, of crisis or of dislocation, whether it be recession or financial crises or the like, they tend to be a period of which for a period of renewal and innovation. And so whole new businesses tend to spring up out of these types, out of these periods. Indeed, we're seeing it now and we'll likely see it as we as we roll forward. As long as we have sort of the spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship and the access to capital, which is very easy these days, that is a long-term positive uh, for the American commercial landscape. So given that, Hans, as you think across the asset classes, so around equities, international, U.S., um, high-grade bonds, cash, other sorts of uh, things, are there, or how do you, are there some that you are, at this point, as you think about the portfolio, someone to show up with just 100% cash, are there some categories that you would overweight and, and prefer? Yes, and some of it might seem a bit incongruous with what we just talked about. But the reality is, uh, back in the depth of the dislocation in March, uh, we made the conclusion that the U.S. was going to be the market that led the world out of the depths of the initial phase. And in fact, that is exactly what has happened. And being overweight to the U.S. to U.S. companies has held us in very good stead. So I would continue to maintain that overweight. I think more opportunistically, though, Austin, um, and this gets uh, much more specific, but I think in the structured credit markets, the mortgage markets, ironically, are presenting some very good opportunities. It's unlikely interest rates are going to rise anytime soon. And when I say anytime soon, I mean years. It took us almost a decade to attempt to normalize interest rates after the great financial crisis. This is much more severe and dislocating. Uh, and it, who knows how long it'll take for uh, interest rates to normalize. And that's going to be good for housing prices. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, you know, if you look at in terms of negative equity, if you took a look, uh, look at things in terms of mortgage refinancings, uh, house prices and the like, uh, they've all been remarkably strong, and the, the backdrop, at least, uh, for the access to money at reasonable rates uh, has never been more favorable than really it is right now, so affordability is very high. Uh, the mortgage market uh, ends up being one that gives us an opportunity for nice income, good total return, uh, against a, a somewhat dislocated backdrop. So it's an interesting market that we're finding pretty fascinating at the moment. Thank you, Hans. I'm going to shift to a few questions that were submitted to our webcast. Uh, and so, Hans, we have a question here. It says, it seems from an unschooled perspective, the damage COVID-19 is doing to our national and glo global economy is far from fully realized. 
Can you address the unrealized damage to the economy and how and where it will impact investments, governments, and our future uh, for years to come? That's a good question. Uh, I think it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, that these uh, events tend to act as accelerators. And uh, the, what this is likely to accelerate is this uh, re-regionalization of, glo uh, of global commerce. So we were at the apex, the very top of uh, global integration here over the last uh, uh, four or five years. And there's been this trend away from that. So a trend toward re-regionalization, bringing back supply chains closer to the markets uh, that people live in, um, the end of uh, sort of this integration, or, or not the end of it, but a sort of reversal of it, I think is the first thing that we have to think about. Uh, and that's likely going to be a very uh, long-lived phenomenon. So it's, it's already started and it probably accelerates. That's number one. Number two um, is that when you print a lot of money, you, you know, effectively debase the value of that money, right? It's a supply and demand uh, uh, dynamic. The more of it you print, the less worthwhile, the less uh, valuable it should become. And I think uh, a larger trend uh, that we've that has already been in train is sort of the um, uh, an attempt for the globe to move away from the dollar uh, as, the, as the reserve currency or as the principal medium of trade. Um, the dollar is still about 85% of global transactions, commercial transactions, and there's a real desire to have it not be uh, that. And I think this, as we print more and more money uh, and we debase the value of that money, uh, it will create the uh, more motivations for other trading blocks to create alternative forms of payment which are already in play, but who knows, it, they could be accelerated as well. Thank you. A second question that comes in, and we've heard this, I've heard a number of people ask this question, which is, uh, judging from the current market behavior amidst COVID-19, it looks like some industries slash sectors will grow significantly, while others will wither as a result of economic impact. Can you suggest some positive and negative industries or sectors? How do you think about different sectors during such an uncertain time? I tend not to try to make any bets on sectors at, uh, at times like this, because more often than not, there's more that we don't know, uh, and there's more that we um, um, possibly can't know. And so making large bets at a point like this uh, uh, at a sector level doesn't seem to me to be in one's best interest. One could say, though, that over time, things like technology, and getting back to what we were talking about earlier, some of these other trends that are already in play, uh, remote work and the infrastructure of remote work, I'm not so sure that those are sector plays, they're more company plays, but those are the things that uh, I would tend to anchor toward. Um, but uh, as far as you know, a healthcare play or uh, an industrial play or the like, too early for that. Excellent. And one final question that came out is, um, what would be a nice surprise that you would uh, you don't expect but might happen? Oh, without a doubt, uh, the discovery of a vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, and moreover, let me even be put a finer point. So there's an effort uh, to 
manufacture ahead of a, a vaccine being found, right? So there, there's a bet that's being made that a certain um, a vaccine is actually going to prove uh, effective. Uh, the thing that would make me the happiest would be for that vaccine to uh, be effective and those efforts to get manufacturing uh, done so that it could get distributed uh, actually happens. Uh, that would be a fantastic outcome. Thank you, Hans. And thank you for your perspective on the markets and also on the economy. I appreciate it. And we will gather again at the end of the third quarter. I thank you for joining us. We do these on a quarterly basis. Uh, we uh, hope and aspire to provide uh, points of view uh, as it relates to a responsible party managing assets over a long period of time. Back to you, Todd. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found today's discussion useful and I'd like to thank those who submitted questions. This is a difficult and challenging time, and at Fiduciary Trust, we have extensive wealth planning, investment, tax, and other expertise to help our clients navigate through it. I encourage you to access some of our insights on our website at fidtrustco.com, as well as through reaching out to a Fiduciary Trust officer if we can be of assistance. If you don't have a Fiduciary Trust officer, please contact Rick Tyson, who's one of our officers who can help you. He can be reached at 617-292-6799 or tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thanks again for joining and we wish you well-being for you and your family. The opinions expressed in this material are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. They discuss general market conditions and trends and should not be construed as investment advice. Any reference to specific securities are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended to be and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor. Copyright Fiduciary Trust Company.